Hello and welcome to the latest Run Free podcast. There's no way I'd ever dreamed of winning two gold medals, but clearly I was in the best shape of my life. I've had a really great team behind me and I knew I could never get as low as I got the year before. So in my mindset, you know, and I'm at the bottom of the bottom wanting to jump in a hole and yet I'm running out of world championships and winning a silver medal. That's a big mind game. There was a series of events that happened which left me with about 15 pence in my account. But everyone assumes everything's fine because you're a sports person, you're Olympian, you've made millions or whatever, you're like, <laughs> yeah. no. You're listening to Run Free. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Run Free podcast. I'm Chris Phillips and I'm delighted to say that joining us this week is England cricketer Kate Cross. Kate has reached the very top of the women's game and has consistently shone on the pitch for her country. But she is also shining off it by helping to raise awareness of anxiety and depression. Kate's own struggles came to our attention during an honest post on social media and we are very proud to have her on our show. Here's what she had to say. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you, first of all? How are you feeling right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Obviously, we're having a chat on the back of the, the post that I put out on the, the weekend. But yeah, I think I was able to post that because I'm in a much better place now mentally and physically. And yeah, I guess that's the wonderful thing about hindsight is you can kind of reflect on the stages of mental health that you've been through. So uh, yeah, thankfully, I'm in a, a much better place now. Thanks for asking. Yeah, because I saw that post that you did and then I've done a bit of research. And I remember sort of a few years ago, you were saying that you were out in the field, wasn't it? And you could feel the tears in your eyes and you were really struggling back in that point. Yeah, that was back in um, 2016. So it feels like a long time ago. But yeah, I think the the point of me posting that picture that I did at the weekend was kind of almost a bit of um like a realization for myself more than anything because back in that photo was taken in September last year we'd been in a biosecure bubble for about a month not seeing my friends and my family obviously in the middle of a global pandemic and that was when I'd started on the decline again and I think it almost shocked me that I'd kind of gone back to where I felt I was in 2016 having done so much hard work to get on top of my mental health kind of get on top of my routines of what works and what doesn't work so it kind of I think shocked my system as well when I kind of spiraled and it almost made me feel, it sounds daft really, but it made me feel worse that I'd allowed myself to get to that point again, because I felt so in control of, like I said, my routines and my mental health that I didn't think it was possible to get back there. And that was the kind of stark reminder for me when I saw that photo on my phone, literally just scrolling through one night because I couldn't sleep, that yeah, I'd, I'd kind of got through it again. You know, I've been there again. And I think that's for me, the reminder of mental health is that for me, probably I'm always going to have to live with it. I'm always going to have good days, bad days, good phases, bad phases, but it's kind of how you react to it more than, I guess, letting it define you. Yeah, definitely. It's the, it's the same as me, unfortunately. It's always going to be a, a part of the sort of everyday routine. But when you do start to struggle, what can you do? What do you do to try and sort of pick yourself back up again? I know it's different for everyone, but how does it sort yeah. of work for you? Yeah, that's the message I always give to people is that it's very different for different people. And what works for me might not work for someone else. But one of my main things, and I, I always bang on about it on um, social media, is talking to people and having that support network around you. And that can be counselling, that can be your GP, that can be your parents. For me, it's my best mate, my parents, my brother and my sister. But it's trying to make people understand what you are going through. And I know sometimes that can be really difficult to articulate. So, yeah, talking for me is one of my big things meditation I always go back to using headspace when I'm really struggling so just 10 minutes a day of trying to 
like your own little bubble, isn't it? And you kind yeah. of block everyone out and everything out for 10 minutes and, and follow a meditation guide. The other one is exercise. Um, I can't bang on enough about what exercise does for me and how helpful I find it. And there's been times where I've had to literally go out at 10 p.m. because I'm, you know, anxious, really low mood. And I just think, right, just get out. Even if it's 15 minutes and you feel terrible, just get moving, just get your blood flowing. And then you never know, you might feel a little bit better when you get back. Yeah, I'm exactly the same with that. I somehow managed to end up doing far too much running just to sort of try and get my head back where it where it needs to be. But when we, if you don't mind talking about it, when we go back to where you were sort of struggling, how hard was it initially to to open up to those people and admit to people that you were struggling? Yeah, way back when. So this would this would have been when I was back in my uni days. This was when I first started struggling with mental health, and it was it was because I was studying psychology at uni that I actually recognised the symptoms. Yeah, we're literally studying depression, anxiety in oh, one of the lectures, and I could tick off literally nine or ten of these symptoms that I was reading on a page. And it was then that I went and spoke to my mum and I said, I think I need some help because I think I'm suffering with depression. I sounded daft saying it because I felt like it was a real dramatic sentence, which, you know, and found different ways of saying it now. Cause I sometimes like I think the D word sometimes feels really exaggerated, but this most recent time when I was talking to my parents, I just said to them, like, I'm just sad. I'm just, you know, I'm feeling really sad again. So I've, you know, found ways of talking more easily for myself about it. But it was so difficult to tell people that I wasn't coping. I must admit, I felt like it was almost like my last resort to ask people for help because I wanted to get over it myself and get through it myself. And that I think since then, I've just realized that the more people that I've got involved is just so much more beneficial for me because it allows people to drag me out of places that I can't physically drag myself out from. So my best mate, Alex, who I do my own podcast with, she's the first person that can recognize when I'm not great. And she can recognize it on WhatsApp. That's how close we are. You know, she can tell by my text tone when I'm not in a great place. Um, And she'll be the first one to say, right, I'm coming around. We're going for a walk. We're going to go get a coffee. You know, all the things that you don't want to do when you're in that place, but she knows how to kind of drag me literally out of that dark hole, but sometimes out of my apartment as well. That's the power of talking to people and trying to explain to them what you need when you're telling them you don't need it because you're in such a low place that you're saying, I don't want to do anything. I want to stay in bed. But she knows that's almost code for saying, right, get her out, get her out of the apartment. So yeah, that's for me, the power of having that support network and why it's so important to open up to those people around you. Yeah, definitely. And opening up is, is hard for a lot of people. But when you're sort of an elite sports person like yourself, is it even harder? Do you have to think even more and think maybe this might put, you know, my career at risk? Peak clubs might not want to sign me in Australia. They might see me as, you know, baggage, you know, but they might sort of see the added difficulty and think they'll sign someone else. Is that a worry that you have to consider as well at any point? It was back in 2016. It was a real worry for me to tell the head coach because I knew we were coming into... Um, the back end of a world cup phase so we work in four year cycles and we had the home world cup in 2017 and i knew that if i spoke to my coach and kind of said i wasn't coping and was struggling that there was not potentially the opportunity that i might miss that world cup and kind of put my spot in jeopardy which i'd worked quite hard to kind of get to but it's that kind of chicken and egg situation isn't it because i think if i'd have carried on and kind of scraped my way through it and not been the best version of myself for my teammates, for my, even for myself in terms of my performance on the pitch, you know, that wouldn't have been beneficial for the team. So he was actually the one back in 2016. He told me to get away from it all and to have a bit of a break and get on holiday and, you know, not worry about cricket for a little bit, just kind of look after myself. 
And even now, I still think, could I have just got through that and made it to that World Cup? And, you know, that's something that I'm going to have to live with forever that I never quite got there and wasn't in that squad and missed out on a pretty, like, I guess, career changing opportunity of being in that team that then went on to win that 2017 World Cup at Lords. But yeah, I think it's difficult because I then also wish I'd just opened up a bit sooner and spoke to people a bit sooner so it didn't get to that point. So I wasn't at the bottom of that barrel having to climb all the way back up out of it. I just wish I'd maybe opened up a bit sooner and it could have been different. Yeah, because I heard you say, didn't you sort of stay in bed for three days, didn't you? And your dad would come in and sit at the end of your bed. I mean, that must have been sort of like the, the lowest moments for you. Yeah, that was that was probably my worst phase. And it's funny, and you'll you'll know what I mean by this, and people who haven't suffered with mental health probably won't understand it, but you just can't do anything. It's such a crippling disease if you can call it that I don't know what what you do term it as but yeah I got back from that chat that I'd had with my coach I was down in Loughborough at the time and I drove home and I got in bed and I think this would have been on the probably on the Wednesday and I didn't get out of bed till the Saturday I think the only like literally got out of bed to get some food or go to the toilet I you know I wasn't showering um not even brushing my teeth things like that I just physically and mentally couldn't do those menial like daily tasks bless my mum and dad I was still at my parents at the time and they came in and you know opened up my blinds to try and get some light in and get some fresh air in and as soon as they shut the door I'd close the blinds and shut the window and yeah. just get back into bed and yeah it's, it's a horrible place to be and I'd you know I'd never wish it on anyone I know there's a lot of people out there especially with the kind of year that we've had who are really struggling so again that was another reason why I wanted to put that post out because I just want people to know that there is support out there for them and they've just got to look for it and it's sometimes the hardest thing to do is ask for help but for me that was when things started to change um, and yeah. so yeah yeah bless my mum and dad I think it's horrible for, it must be horrible for parents when they know that yeah. the, the kids are sad and there's nothing that they can really do to help other than sometimes just sit at the end of a bed give you a hug or whatever it is yeah it's the same with my parents if I haven't shaved for a few days and that's a sign of me not being particularly on good form my mum will like start to worry straight away and sometimes I'm like no I think it looks all right sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm all right I'm all right but I think you are right I think sometimes when you are struggling you think that you're the only one don't you you don't think that anyone else sort of feels like this that there's something wrong with you and I know I've done similar things when I've written obviously not to the same scale but I've written in the paper and lots of people have then sort of opened up to me and it's often the people that you wouldn't envisage having struggled and they've had their own battles and I guess you've you've had that as well you must have had a positive reaction and and lots of people sort of opening up to you that, that can relate to how you're feeling and I guess in a way that that must help you as well maybe yeah I don't know whether it helps me I mean it's it's kind of a bit of solidarity isn't it to know that you're not on your own and that you know I I try the best that I can if people reach out to me from a post like that I'll try my best to respond to it as sometimes things do get lost on Twitter and on Instagram but I try my best to respond because I feel like it's sometimes can be a little bit of a club, not one that you want to be a part of sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of that that you're not alone. And um, I remember kind of just going off what you were saying there. Like I remember feeling like I was a massive burden. And that was one of the reasons that I didn't want to open up because I thought, you know what, everyone's got things going on. You know, everyone's got their own little things to deal with. Why does anyone need my extra baggage ever to, to be dealing with as well? But now, and obviously I'm in a better place, so it's easier for me to say this again, hindsight is such a wonderful thing. But I think if my best friend was struggling or my mum or my dad, I would do everything that I could to try and help them. And for me to have thought that people wouldn't want to help me is just, you know, that's, again, the power of depression and anxiety of what it can do to your mind and how it changes your thoughts. But, yeah, it just it just 
blows my mind that I think, oh, I'm not going to help you because I've got stuff going yeah. on. So it's, it's, it's just frightening when you do manage to get that kind of perspective of it. But yeah, I think that's also part of being kind of having a following on social media is it's not my, I don't think it's my job to talk about mental health, but it's also, I think I've got an amazing platform to raise awareness and, you know, lived it firsthand so I can relate to a lot of people. And I think that's what can be so powerful sometimes. And that's kind of the gist of the messages that I get that, you know, people say to me, if someone like you, who's got this lifestyle that we all think is amazing, where you travel in the world, you're playing sport for a living, you know, you're getting to meet amazing people and pretty much live in the sunshine for 12 months of the year. You know, if, if you're going through that behind closed doors, then anyone can. And I think, again, that's just the power of like mental illness that it can just cripple anyone at any time. 100%. And I find it is inspiring when people have had the depressions and their own issues, but they sort of battle back and, and sort of almost get back up from the fight. I mean, how hard was that to you to get back to playing cricket at, at such a high level after everything you went through? Yeah, I didn't think I ever would, actually. Um, there was a phase, certainly about 12 months, where I thought, yeah, there's a, probably a good chance I'm not going to play cricket for England again. I knew I'd play cricket in some level, whether that was just club cricket or county cricket. But now that's given me another kind of level of perspective to international cricket because now I can just appreciate it for what it is. It's a game of cricket. You know, if I get to play cricket for England again, amazing. And it's very, very cliche and I hate having to say it, but everyone says to me, you know, like play the next game as if it might be your last because you don't know when your last one is. And that break that I had kind of gave me that as a real thing because I didn't know when my last, you know, my next game of cricket might be for England. So then when I did get the opportunity to play again, I really relished it. And I just thought, remember why you play? Remember what who that little girl was that played in the back garden for hours and hours and hours with a brother and a sister and went down to her local cricket club every weekend and every evening that she possibly could in the summer. And just remember that because I think sometimes in professional sport, you get stuck in this bubble of thinking that you're the epitome of the earth. And that's what it feels like sometimes that yeah, everything you do is so important, but yeah, I think that also the mental health side of that has kind of given me an added layer of what professional sport's about because, again, I raise that awareness and talk to people that I might not necessarily have talked to if I'd not been through those those lower phases. But I think you're absolutely right. I think sometimes you have to kind of hit rock bottom to get yourself back out of it because I remember that when I was in bed for those three days, I remember just thinking to myself, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I was just so fed up and so low and just you know I didn't think I could get any lower with how I was feeling and I just thought right tomorrow get up and go for a run and have a shower and see how you feel as magic as it sounds you know I felt a little bit better that day for doing those simple tasks so yeah that was kind of what got me out of it was actually getting to the very bottom and thinking that I was just so fed up of it and I didn't want that feeling anymore yeah because you like you said you were always playing your back garden and loved your cricket but wasn't it on the international stage when you first came onto it I heard you say you're a bit of a perfectionist and failure seemingly out there you used to take that really to heart and take things quite personally didn't you yeah I think that probably developed when we turned professional so my cricket career has kind of developed as a teenager but cricket was never on the radar for us as careers because we only turned professional in 2014 so that was just a new phase for us all because we hadn't had that kind of pressure and that scrutiny so it wasn't probably until two or three years into having a professional contract that perfectionism crept in and you know now I can just see how unhealthy it is and I think there's being ambitious but there's also being realistic and I think when I'm setting goals for myself even now I have to kind of check with the psych and check with my bowling coach that are these obtainable goals because you know 
than not, especially in cricket. You know, you you're pretty much set up for failure in cricket. You have more bad days than you have good days a lot of the time. And I think any professional, well, I think any cricketer will tell you that, you know, anyone that plays club cricket on a Saturday as well. So, yeah, I think you've just got to be a bit more grounded playing cricket in particular because it is such a strange sport. I do wonder why I've picked it sometimes. <laughs> Were you good at all sports though? Because didn't your dad play professional football, didn't he? So I guess you had quite a sporting upbringing. Yeah, yeah. So dad was a um, professional footballer, which has helped as well because he's obviously had that experience um, to kind of talk me through what being a professional athlete is about. Obviously, football and cricket are a bit different, but it's nice to have him there to, to kind of help me through it. But yeah, my brother played professional cricket for Lancashire and he was on the books at United as well for a while when he was a, a real youngster. Uh, my sister played Super League netball and trialed with England. So, you know, I being the youngest of three, I kind of felt like, right, what, what's it going to be for me? You know, I've got to do something that's as special as what my brother and sister have produced because otherwise I am literally the runt of the litter. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, I think, like subconsciously as well, that probably put a bit of pressure on me having, um, you know, successful siblings. And, I'm, yeah, I'm, again, I'm not going to be the only one out there that has that, that kind of feeling. To be fair to dad, he never pushed me into anything. I think he realised quite quickly I was terrible at football. So he <laughs> got me trying to catch a ball instead, which obviously has paid dividends. But yeah, he never never kind of forced me into playing sport. It was just whatever we enjoyed. And that was all three of us, not just me. Yeah, but you went into cricket and did exceptionally well. What are the highlights when you, when you I know you've you know still playing and hope there's a lot more to come, but what are the highlights of, of your career so far when you look back at this stage? I think being able to make my test debut, that was a big one. We don't get to play much test cricket as female cricketers. And I got to do that in Australia, in Perth, at the Wacker Ground, which is yeah quite special for us. I've never been involved in a World Cup, so that's one of my goals, is to get some time in, in, a, in any World Cup. But yeah, I think the other one that had, had um, a T20 fixture over in India needed three to win, and I, was, I managed to kind of close that out. And it was a bit of a fluke, to be honest, but it was nice, to kind, to, of, that. <laughs> it was, it was nice to kind of pick up a... A player of the match award but to be honest I know this again it sounds cliche and I'm not just saying this because I've come on this podcast but I think one of the things that I'm most proud about is how kind of authentic I've been throughout my career and I think I'll be able to you know hold my head up high with that when I do decide to retire that you know I've been myself throughout this whole journey and I think hopefully that's come across and kind of comes across in the way that I've played and I'd, I'd like to think that the lads that I grew up playing cricket with back in the under 11s at Haywood where I grew up kind of would still see the same Kate that plays international cricket if like we're ever on Sky or anything like that and that I think then allows me to kind of talk about the mental health side a lot easier because it it's what I do in my day-to-day so I'm not trying to be anyone different on social media or anything like that so yeah as much as the kind of trophies and stuff's really nice I'm I'll think I'll be able to hold my head high with that side of it as well the authenticity of it and yeah just being myself. Yeah, 100% things like that definitely take you a long way. But cricket as a whole, is is that quite a hard sport mental health-wise? Because especially, you know, there's so much travelling involved and you don't see your families, you don't see your loved ones. And you, it sounds glamorous, doesn't it, when you go on these tours and you're here, there and everywhere. But a lot of the time you're you're in a hotel room like, like you are now and it, it can be a bit tough. Yeah, and I think the pandemic has kind of made that obviously 100 times worse because of the biosecure bubbles that we've been in. But generally, my family are like very brilliant at traveling and you know they love my mum and dad love traveling and watching us play where they can so there is something about cricket I don't know why but there seems to be a lot more people talk about mental health within the game I don't know whether that's because it's maybe accepted a bit more in the cricket circles I don't know or whether we just struggle with it more but yeah I think there's an element of what I mentioned earlier about being kind of set up for failure in cricket in that 
you do have more bad days than good. And that's just a fact of the game. And I think that there's also the element of you are a, a single player. I get reviewed on my personal performance, but that's also kind of engulfed in a team performance as well. So I could get a five for, you know, have a great day out myself and the team loses. Whereas very rarely in a football match, if someone scores five, yeah. I think it's very, very unlikely that t- that team's going to lose. So there's there's kind of like a lot of layers with cricket that I don't think you see a lot of in, in different sports. And yeah, we're, we're on the road a lot. I mean, I've just come back from New Zealand for seven weeks, had to quarantine for two weeks either side of that. So I didn't get to see my family. So suddenly that's two and a half months without my support bubble around me. But again, I think oh, it's one of them. I wouldn't change it for the world because... I've had some amazing experiences and got to travel to some amazing parts of the world. So I think you've just got to take it all with a pinch of salt and kind of ride the wave because it's not going to last forever either. Everyone everyone always really reminds me of that, that your, your sporting career does not last long. I think it's good as a, in a whole, isn't it, that people do feel that they can that they can talk out in, in cricket and that you should be encouraged elsewhere because, you know, talking out does make a big difference like we sort of touched on before and it maybe shows the, the progress that's being made because it can't be a new thing, but I guess sort of in the 90s and the early noughties, it, it really wasn't spoken about, was it? And that can't have been healthy. Yeah, and that was actually like my dad's kind of generation of footballer. It was always, you know, like crack on and like his, I remember I broke my finger once in a cricket game and... Um, like literally blood was pouring out my finger, like this bit was facing the wrong way. And my dad, typical like 70s and 80s footballer was like, oh, just get some ice on it. It'll be fine. <laughs> and, you know, he he said when physios ran out to him, they had a bucket of water. Like it was just yeah. the magic sponge. Because sponge the physio, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which obviously is just crazy if you think about it nowadays. But yeah, it was just not, not talked about. And I think, um, I guess, benefit of me being so open about it is kind of, forced my dad to open up a little bit more as well and as a family now we probably talk a bit more than we ever used to um, and it's always like the man up thing isn't it that yeah just tell you to kind of get on with it and everyone feels a bit crap some days but like I think it's just for me being aware that you have bad days and you're allowed a bad day and that's just completely normal like even when I'm in my best mental space I still have bad days but it's just not allowing it to kind of tumbleweed and become a bad phase for me so I just try and keep on top of things and yeah, I think that's like like you said, that's the kind of power of what being more open these days is about because it makes everyone aware of everyone else feeling like that as well. And it's it is normal, like I said. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent. Like I said, with the running and just small steps, you know, put on a good bit of cheesy music or take the dog for a walk. It's small steps, isn't it? That can can make ended up sort of making a massive difference, don't you think? Yeah, I do. And I think it is so difficult when you're in a bad place, but my mentality with it is that you always have a choice. And when you are feeling really low, it's so easy to pick the option that, that will, you know, continue those feelings of sadness or loneliness. But it's always the hard choice to do the things that help you. And that's what I found. Me, people might be different, but, you know, getting up and going out for a run or going for a walk when it, you know, it's freezing outside or you really don't want to is the hardest thing to do. It's so easy to stay in bed and feel sorry for yourself. But I think if if you can make that choice to do something positive for yourself, and that's all it is, it is for you. It's not for anyone else. It's for you and your mind and your body. I think that's the most powerful thing for me is picking the thing and choosing the positive step because it, it and don't get me wrong it's not it's not easy to do it's oh, you man. literally sometimes have to drag yourself out the door but again I think having that support around you and the people around you to help encourage you to do that is really important but yeah like you said it that a bit of cheesy music like don't pick the sad song pick no the, no no it's gotta be s club seven or bit five on my yeah, one exactly. <laughs> exactly I like that <laughs> 
I, I made it that bit out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and do you keep a close eye on your teammates as well? Because I always find that, because I've had my own issues sometimes when I, some of my friends, I'm more likely to notice that other people are a little bit quieter or a bit sort of not, you know, as forthcoming in the WhatsApp group or in training mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Is that the case with you? Do you sort of keep a close eye yeah. on I think I think um, the more you know your teammates, obviously, like you said, the more aware you become of people's habits. So you know the girl that never talks in the WhatsApp group, you know that doesn't necessarily mean she's got uh, she's going through anything bad. But yeah, I think it's for me, it's picking up on kind of real subtle things. And I think once you've been through it, you you know what those subtle things look like and sound like. I think people's language is a, is like a real easy one to pick up on. You know the the lad that's normally bubbly and. Um, the life and soul of the party if he's starting to use negative language or um, kind of putting himself down or putting other people down I think you can pick up on that quite easily but yeah I think it's as well as you know someone obviously if you just meet someone it's quite difficult to tell what they're going through or what what they have been through but I think that is really important that you get to know people around you as well and know what their habits are and again know what their support system might look like because mine might look very different to yours and yeah. um Kind of getting to, it's just taking the time I think to get to know people and doing a bit of research around mental health as well and like even like my mum for example there's been a few times where I've given her a ring and she's saying oh I'm not sleeping very well and this conversation keeps cropping up about us not sleeping well and I said well is there something going on at work that you might be a bit anxious about and then suddenly a conversation starts flowing and she's opening up to me about a work-related thing that you know it's just because I've picked up on the fact that she's not slept well for a couple of nights and so it's just little things like that I think can have quite a big impact. Yeah, 100%. And with the support mechanisms, I think the sport is trying to do a bit more as a whole, isn't it? I've read that there's going to be sort of mental health coaches going around to clubs and, and things like that. Is that something that you would support? Do you think that would be, oh, yeah. that would be good for the sport and for the individual? Absolutely. It's, it's obviously been a very male-dominated sport in the past, and that's what we're trying to change as female athletes is, you know, trying to raise awareness around the fact that girls can play cricket. And um, But I think it, it can then very easily fall into it. So, you know, it's a man's dressing room and no one talks about their feelings. And I think the more that clubs can kind of encourage their teammates and um, their players to open up about their mental health is just so important because the lad sitting opposite you in the dressing room who you play cricket with every Saturday might be feeling exactly the same way as you. And all it might, you know, it might just be as simple as having a pint with him at the end of the game and just saying, you know, are you okay? I've noticed this, or, yeah. you know, I'm going through this. I just wonder, can I just chat with you for 10 minutes? And that's, that's as simple as it can be. So the more we encourage that, you know, I'm all for that. I think it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. And we saw with your post on social media how, how powerful that can be. But like you said, you're in a sort of male-dominated sport. Has, has that been hard? Have you faced sort of criticism? And have you ever had any sort of stick on social media? Because things like that can make a big you know difference to people as well, can't they? Yeah, I've never had stick about talking about my mental health on social media. Um, I've had stick for being a female playing um Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, had yeah. a bit of that. Yeah, but um, not no, not on the mental health front. Um actually on the back of that post Owen Morgan the England captain gave me a ring about it and just said he couldn't believe how kind of powerful and uh, he said he was like blown away by the fact that I'd been able to put something like that out there at my most vulnerable and so for him to have rung me about that I just thought you know like that's that's kind of making people sit up and I wouldn't say that the girls have kind of paved a way for this but I would say that we're generally more kind of open on social media about these things so yeah, I'd, again, I just think that's where the the beauty for me of social media is that side of it and, and allowing yourself to be open and just show the bits that people don't always see. Because there's there's probably four or five people who've seen me in that state in real life 
Um, so for me to put that out on social media was quite a big deal. You know, it was, I remember ringing Alex, the girl I've spoken about quite a lot, but I remember speaking to her saying, should I do this? And she just straight away was like, absolutely. She said, it's so powerful, get it out there. You know, there's no doubt whatsoever around it. Yeah. And that's, again, that's the kind of support that you want to have around you is people like that telling you that that's, that's great, not, oh, no, maybe you shouldn't, you don't look great in that photo. You look a bit, a bit tired yeah. or you've got tears in your eyes, whatever it is, so... No, it's definitely 100% the right thing to do. It helps so many people. So so massive well done for, for, for doing that. But just finally, I've seen you sort of open up a little bit yourself, haven't you? Now you're going to be sort of, have you done some sort of your own podcast, like you said? What does that sort of cover? Is that sort of on the cricketing side of things? or? <laughs> yeah, we try, to, we try to be. We call ourselves the cricket podcast. It's, like, it's called No Balls, a cricket podcast. It's me and Alex <laughs> that do it. So you can take from that what you want. Um, but yeah, we. you know what? We're, we're just ourselves on it. And I think, again, that kind of touches on that authenticity that I spoke about earlier. But we use it as an amazing platform to be able to talk about anything and everything. So we'll get questions in and people answer them, you know, to the best of our knowledge about cricket. But then after that Derbyshire bubble that I spoke about in September, we started a new season and I just was really honest. And I said, Al, I'm not great. I might not be my funniest at the moment. I'm not in a good place. And it then opened that door to chat about mental health and the amount of kind of responses that we get through our emails is how you know just able to be honest with people about what it looks like on our worst days and also what it looks like on our best days which yeah I think is again just a really powerful thing for us to be able to do and it's so it's loads of fun we have a great time doing it we're always laughing and it's kind of a bit of like therapy for us as well to just be able to chat for 45 minutes and and say how we're getting on brilliant well I'm about to go running so I'll give that a listen as soon as I uh, disappear here but brilliant thank you so much for your time and keep doing what you're doing it's fantastic and it really is helping so many people so big well done to you and good luck in everything that you're doing moving forward no problem and keep doing what you're doing as well because you know there's everyone's got to keep talking about it so it's amazing to see podcasts and, and people talking more about mental health so well done you run free with Chris Phillips and Eddie Cooper Follow us on Twitter at RunFreeOfficial.